This celebration is taking place in one of the most remote regions of Africa, in the scorching heat where the famine and the drought are devastating. But today, the team from Serve International arrived, so the mood here is one of excitement, gratitude, and hope, because their friends have returned, and they brought food. Join me now as Serve International's founder and CEO, Steve Kasha, takes us to Kenya to meet the Turkana. This is where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Edge of Adventure podcast. My name is Adam Asher, and I want to welcome everybody who is listening. And also, we've got some viewers on YouTube. You can join us on YouTube if you want to see a little behind the scenes of what's going on today. My guest is Steve Kasha, the CEO and founder of Serve International. Correct. Steve, thanks for being here, and thanks for what you do with Serve International. Oh, thank you. For someone who is listening and they have never heard of Serve, right? What is it? Oh wow, Serve is a nonprofit organization feeding people around the world a little bit of everything. We have an orphanage over in the northwest corner of Kenya. It's up near Sudan, Ethiopia, Uganda. It's right on the border, kind of up in the nomads' land. So what we do is we take mission trips to to Kenya. We also take mission trips to Dominican. We've been in Mexico in the past. But right now, our primary focus is Kenya. What is life like up there? The first thing I would think of is there must be great need, but right. never having been myself, you tell me what it's like there. You know, I think that what we'd want to do is probably paint the worst picture that you can, you can paint and then kind of you know, backtrack on that. There's tremendous need. I mean, it's a beautiful country. It's, it's diverse. Uh, the people are fantastic, but there's always a need. I notice on your website, which, by the way, is, how would somebody find it? Serveone.org. So it's S-E-R-V-O-N-E dot org. Okay, so the word serve minus the E, just S-E-R-V-O-N-E, as in the number one, dot org. Correct. Serveone.org. I notice on your website that you put a lot of emphasis on food. Correct. Why does it start with food? You know, it really goes back to a vision I was given real young. Had a vision to to feed people when I was about 18 years old. Kind of started the process of helping where I could along the way. And about 10 years ago, I had a man who came over to the United States from Kenya. I sat there and listened to this guy, and he was sitting here telling me about the starvation. He was telling me about the poverty. He was telling me about the hunger and the death. And I sat there, and as I sat there and listened to him, I had a hard time believing that. How in the world can something like this happen when we have the means, we have the resources? And at the end of the night, I went up and shook his hand, said, hey, really enjoyed your talk. And he looked me in the eye and he said, you need to come to Kenya. And I'm like, no disrespect, but I have no intention of going to Kenya. Here's the funny thing. That night, I went and sat with him in a Waffle House and had a two-hour conversation with him. And at the end of that conversation, I had committed myself going to 
to Kenya. So I started researching some places around the States that I could get some um, nutritious food, and we ended up running across a company out of Texas. And long story short, we ended up buying some food and we took it over. So I I ended up taking about 10,000 meals. And what this is, it's a 2.2 pound bag of food. In each of these bags is 50 meals. And it's a nutritious blend of carrots, soy protein, potatoes, but also has all the value, nutrition value that you need to sustain life for a day. So I was figuring if I'm going to go to Kenya and I'm going to go, I'm going to go prepared. I ended up getting on the plane and Believe it or not, he met me there at the airport, and he took me around to some places. And the things that I saw were horrible. He took me into some slums. I saw hunger. I saw sickness. I saw poverty. I saw raw sewage flowing through houses. I saw some horrible stuff. But at the end of that three days, I went up to him, and his name was Simon. I said, Simon, I said, all these things that you're telling me about, about the hunger, the starvation, I said, although I've seen some horrible things, I've never seen and I didn't see these things that you were talking about. And he looked me in the eye. He said, Steve, he said, the place that I'm talking about is up in the northwest corner of Kenya. He said, but we can't go. I said, well, why can't we go? He said, there are no roads. And the roads that they do have, chances are that we'd be attacked by bandits out of Uganda. They would take our vehicle. They might kill us. They might do this and this. He said, so I always charter a plane when I go. So I probably did the most irresponsible thing I've ever done. I pulled out my credit card and I handed him my credit card and we chartered a plane. The next day, man, the next day we were on the ground up in this northwest corner of Kenya, a town called Lodwar. These uh, four guys picked me up in a land cruiser. They said, are you Steve? I said, I am. They said, come with us. So uh, I kind of thought I got myself into a mess. But for the next couple of days, man, they took me around to these places that they were talking about. And they, I, I saw hunger. I saw starvation. I saw death. I held a baby in my arms that uh, was getting ready to die. The next day, he actually passed away. So we took food up there, and, and we started to distribute a little bit of this food. And I knew at that point that, that something had to be done. And it got to the end of the, got to the, end of the trip, and we were passing out uh, food in this village. And the really cool thing was there was this old lady tribal lady, beads, very worn, very tattered. And she kept watching me and she came up through the line as I was handing up food. And she came up and she, she looked at me and she nodded and she acknowledged and I gave her some food and she smiled. And I told him, I said, God willing, I said, I'll be back with more people and more food. Well, man, it was five weeks to the day, literally five weeks to the day. I had brought 12 people back to Kenya, went back to the United States, came back, brought 12 people back to Kenya and I brought more food, and I went to that same village. This was how long ago? Oh, gosh, this was, uh, this was 10 years ago. The really cool thing about this is, is I went back to that village. Uh, the same lady came through the line again, and she recognized me, and she had tears in her eyes. And I asked my interpreter, I said, is she happy because we brought food back? And he said, no, she's happy because you came back and nobody ever comes back. I knew at that point I had to do something. So Kenya... We know that's in Africa. Right. Describe the experience. How long of a flight from Atlanta, Georgia? You guys are based right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Correct. If you were to fly out of Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, where do you go from there and how long of a flight is it? Yeah, so it's kind of a crazy process getting there. I mean, there's different routes, but most of the time what we'll do is we'll hop plane in Atlanta. We'll fly into Amsterdam, which is about a seven, eight hour flight. The route we go, have a two or three hour layover and then about another nine to 10 hour flight into the uh, capital city of Kenya, which is, which is Nairobi. So it's a process. By the time it's all said and done, you're, you're dealing with a seven to eight hour time lapse as far as you know, jet lag and a 
20 hour trip. We have a facility there now on the ground that we actually uh, procure food and we pack out food for our large scale food distribution. So we'll do that for a day or so. And then we, man, we hit it running. We, we charter a plane. Uh, we fly up to that northwest corner of Kenya and where our orphanage is, and uh, we have food shipped up ahead, and we spend probably about five to six days there. I think that's an important point. Serve International is committed to a particular group of people, a community exactly. in Kenya. And Correct. you have an ongoing, long-term relationship with that group. Exactly. I mean, you know, our goal, I guess you could say, is not to necessarily feed the whole world because we're not a feeding organization from, from that standpoint of trying to solve the world hunger problem. But one of the things that we do is we, we try to go in and we invest in communities. We come alongside of them, and everything that we do starts with food first. So we go in and we bring food to these communities, and then in time that leads to to trust of bringing this food, and then it leads to doing wells, and then it leads to bringing in outreach centers and schools and, and stuff like that. So you go into these places that nobody will ever go. I mean, it's to the, it's to the ends of the earth and then just a little bit further. There is something very moving about going to the ends of the earth and then going a little bit farther and discovering a wonderful community there. Uh, We tend to call them sometimes people groups because oftentimes they have a culture or a language and traditions that are all their own. Have you found that to be the case with the group in Kenya? Man, absolutely. We take a dirt road, which turns into a path, which turns into a trail, and then it's a big open riverbed. And then you go down that riverbed, and when you see the big rock, you take a left, and you head towards a mountain. We've developed probably about five or six communities in different uh, strategic pockets around, around this area, up near, near the borders of these countries. And uh, we just keep going back. And uh, we let them know that they're not alone, that we're bringing, you know, we're bringing food. We're, we're a Christian organization, so we, we, we do some preaching, or we just kind of share, share the love of what, who, who Christ is in our lives. And uh, around that, like I said, all starts with food. Food first leads to everything else. When I have these interviews on the Edge of Adventure podcast, and I speak to people like yourself who are leading an organization that is doing relief work, humanitarian work of some kind, I always like to dig a little bit deeper and maybe get to the motivation. And the motivation is different for different people. Right. But for you and for the team with Serve International, in a nutshell, why are you doing what you're doing? I never intended to, I never started off wanting to do Serve International. I think that's kind of important. I, I own my own business. I've had my own company for 26 years, run an export company that sends product all over the world, graduated college, and, and man, I was just going to go in and I feel like God had given me a gift to do business, and I was just going to go in and, and make that difference and make my mark. Well, after about four years, five years into the business of being successful, we started having a little bit of money rolling in, a little bit of resources coming in. I started to think to myself that, you know, although all these material things are great, I just had this void in me. And uh, this void was just this whole sense of, of needing that there was something more. And I'd, I remember sitting there thinking, God, if this is all there is to, to life is just making my money and, and being successful on what the world says, then I'm missing something. Two days after that happened, I got a call from a a guy in a church that, that I knew. And he said, Steve, he says, uh, you own your own international business company, right? I said, yeah. And he said, uh, well, you're the most qualified because we need to lead a team of people to Mexico on a mission trip. And I said, well, so I looked at it, talked to my wife about it. And, 
next month I was leading a team of 12 guys down into Mexico doing missions. And, and that's where it all really started for me. Just that, that need of having to find something more, uh, not being satisfied with the status quo and using your resources to, to make bigger needs and make an impact in the world, to, to go to those places where others wouldn't go and to, uh, to make an impact and to, to see with my own eyes and to, to be able to then. We went into Mexico for the next three years and uh, continued to take teams, and we built outreach centers and feeding program facilities and, and uh, stuff like that. Currently, what are the areas of the world that serve international serves? Right now, we're, we're serving in the Dominican. We just finished up a program in Costa Rica, Kenya, which is our big one. And then two years ago, we just launched a, a really good program into Cambodia. And uh, we're oh, actually... Tell me about that. Yeah, man. We're actually um, using food as a platform to go in and, as a, and using it as a prevention of, of sex trafficking. So we ended up putting a container of food into Cambodia last year. A container of food is one million meals, a shipping container like you see on, on the roads and stuff. And uh, it's one million meals, 20,000 bags of food. And so we ship that over there. And what we do is we go in and we use it as the prevention and the education part of um, sex trafficking. So how often are you over there? I think you know, I saw recently you guys were over there. Yeah, we... Uh, we returned from a trip from Africa, and then about three weeks later, we were on a, on a trip to uh, Cambodia. So we just got back probably about six weeks ago. But it was, it was an amazing trip. Uh, went over there. We're just, we're just really trying to figure out who our partners are. We're really trying to figure out where the best need is. And uh, we've been doing a lot of research. We've got some great partners on the ground. We're working with an organization over there called Saving Susan. They go right into these these places into these slums and they identify these girls they identify these kids all right so tell me then how the container of food one million meals right right tell me how that factors in to rescuing someone from the sex trade you know the sad thing is in parts of cambodia people are so hungry that you wouldn't necessarily think that or you wouldn't really get your mind around that but they're so hungry that they're actually selling their children and giving their children into sex trafficking and sex slavery. And a lot of times they're doing it to put food on the table. So our thought behind that was if we went in and we brought this food, then what we can do is we could use this food and go into isolated communities. Again, we're not there to try to save the whole country of Cambodia, but to places that we identify and that we work with, we'll go in and educate them, give them food, set some goals, set some standards, and set some criteria for them, and then continually use that so they don't have to sell their children into to sex slavery and then educate them in the process. So it's a slow process, but we're finding that it's, it, we're getting good results with it right now. So talk to me about the strategy then of working with one group or one community and staying there long term versus taking the same number of meals, distributing them perhaps more broadly or to a, a larger group or larger right. area. Why is it important to serve international to work in a community and to stay there for a longer period of time? Well, it's important. It's important because you have to have the credibility. You have to have the sustainability. And, and when you're going into a, into a foreign country and you're going into these places and these villages, they want to know you're trying to build that trust. So they want to know that you're not going to just be there on a one-time basis, but that you are going to keep going back. So every time that we go back and uh, we bring food, we earn a little bit more of that credibility. And over time, 
then what happens is we start to adopt that community in, in different ways. Again, it all starts with food, but then leads to so much more. Now, that does not mean that we're not going to help out along the way in other places by giving food, but they're just we just can't invest in every community that we come across. So we have we have partners on the ground there that kind of strategically lead us and say, hey, you know, Steve, this is this is where we want to be. This is what we're thinking. This is what the program we've got in place. And, and you have that missing piece. You know, food is used for so many different things. I mean, not only just to to feed the body, but it's amazing how many people around the world are, are just hungry. Yeah. Okay. Serve International online at serve one dot org. Correct. And serve there's no E in it, so it's S E R V O N E dot org. Correct. And that's what I'm looking here on, on my laptop at the moment. I'm looking here and I see you've got a section about food, but you've also got a section about water and a section about shelter. Right. Walk me through the water initiatives and the shelter projects. So really the uh, the water and the shelter kind of just stemmed from the original vision that was given years ago. Like I said, everything, I keep saying this, but everything comes back to starting with food. So when we went into these areas, give you an example of, of just Kenya, when we went up to Lodwar in the Turkana region, um, up near those borders, our whole purpose and, and focus was, you know, distributing this food. And, and so we did mass distributions, focused in on a couple of these communities. But man, the, the need is so real for so many different things. So bringing in the food gave us the credibility, earned us the right to come alongside these people with the trust factor. And as they did, we would go back and we would tell them, say, hey, we need you to continue to, to think about what it would look like for us to put a well in here in these areas. And, man, we would have people walk 8 to 10 miles, literally, just to show up for food distribution. And when we go into this area of food distribution, there may have been one or two huts around there, and that was it. And then people would show up for this distribution. But as you start to bring food and as you start to bring water, communities are built. So when you put in a well in a, in a place— you go back six months later, and now there's probably what was two to three huts, these grass thatch huts. There's probably 20 to 30 around there. And then as that continues to grow over time, we bring the food. We continue to make sure the well's going. We sink a borehole, a well in there. And then once that community grows, we come in maybe the next year, and we, we get partners to come alongside of us and fund an education piece of that or a church aspect of that where we'll build a building. And then pretty soon, you know, within a two-year period, you go from an area that has eight to ten people to a thriving community of three or four hundred. That's where we like to kind of put our focus, and we continue to maintain that. But then we'll pack up our bags, and we'll go another 15, 20 miles down the road, and we'll, we'll start the same. In Kenya, the name of the group again, the people group that you work with is what? They're the Turkana. It's Turkana. the Turkana tribe. Okay. T-U-R-K-A-N-A. Turkana. Are they based there? Or are they in a variety or a wider region? No, of they're, they are up in that northwest corner of, of Kenya. It's a Turkana tribe. It's the Turkana district, different people groups, different tribal groups. And uh, those are the people that, that we really felt that, that God was leading us to to start with and, and to uh, make a difference in their lives. Would you say they have lived a fairly isolated life? Very isolated there is a town, but once you get a couple miles or even a mile out of town, I mean, it's, it's, it's remote. Probably some of the most remote area I've seen. I travel the world a good bit, but desolate, remote. Looks kind of like a Arizona in the hottest of hot 
What's their reaction when you roll up in a vehicle of some sort? I, they may be used to it now, but I imagine in, in the early days, was that something they had seen before? You know, at, at some point, anybody who's probably over 10 or 12 has, has seen that. Uh, but yeah, there were times when we would show up. And of course, the, the white people, they were the Mazungus. So they call us the Mazungus. People would just start yelling and screaming, the Mazungu, Mazungus. And uh, these kids, when you, when you get up in the vehicles and you get out of the vehicles, they would just run from you. Originally, they would run from you. Absolutely. Okay. That's the smaller ones. Of course, we have a good team of people on the ground there. So we go in ahead of time and we preface it and they know that we're coming. Um, but even at that, it's an experience it's that you'll it's never forget. It's something very yeah. <laughs> unusual for them in their tribe and in their community. Absolutely. Like if you were to go now, how are you going to be received? Oh, man. It's, it's, it's family. The welcome is is overwhelming. They're hospitable. They go out of their way to give us the small things that they have. They'll give us trinkets. They'll give us, um, I got a goat leg, not the whole goat, but I got a goat leg one time. Pretty good. And um, yeah, and they, they make all these little little trinkets for us. They make these little brooms and little things, and they, they give the best of what they have, even when they don't have anything to give. It just touches you down in the very pit of your soul. Do you ever stop and, and think, what did you do to possibly have arrived at a point in your life where you roll up into a community like that and they love you? What does that feel like? You know, it's very humbling, but I think the, I think the fact of we just showed up. You know, the very first time is we just showed up when others wouldn't show up. And again, I've said this, but this is the, the most remote of the remote and when we show up for that first time or that 20th time, man, they're just so appreciative. They're so appreciative of anything that we, we have or, or that we give them or just being in community with them. There'll be times when we go there for no purpose, but just to sit around the fire with them and just to be present with them and just to be in community with them. The relationships that are built, you know, you have two different languages, you have two different cultures. And we, we always hear people say, refer to them as, oh, those people. Well, those people are people, and just like just like me and you, and they've got families, they've got kids, they've got struggles, they've got issues. It's just their stuff is different. And we'll sit around a fire at night, and we'll sit there, and they'll talk to us, and through an interpreter, they'll share their, their stories, they'll share their goals, their, um, their joys, their sorrows, and, and just to be in presence of them and to, to know that, you know, we're all one people. We just look different. And we just come from different areas. But God designed us all the same. So we are actually recording this on site at your headquarters outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And for those who are watching on uh, YouTube, you can see the room that we're in is adorned with some beautiful pictures. And we won't go through all of them, but uh, like this main one right here behind us here. What's the story? Who are these people? So what, you're, what, you're, what you're actually looking at is you're looking at poles coming up out of the ground, and you're looking at some thatch roof with a little bit of tin on it, and that's their church. So the man that you see standing right behind me in the, in the middle of this picture, his name is Pastor Jackson. And uh, this man will walk for days at a time. He is now actually part of Serve International in Turkana. And uh, he walks and he, he goes and he engages in these communities. He's an amazing man, amazing man. So another picture, which you obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see it, 
you can't see this one. We'll take a picture, though. I want right. to, before we leave, I want to take a picture, make sure that we post this on theedgeofadventure.com. Yeah, actually, what you're looking at here is a, it's an aerial shot of our orphanage. It sits on 33 acres, and uh, we have a compound within that 33 acres of a seven-acre area that's fenced in, and we have 60, 67 children to date. Um, that we've brought in. We started off with 15. We continually grew that. And uh, we always took the philosophy that that you've got to be better before you get bigger. And we offer out child sponsorships to them for $55 a month. Um, And then we have people within the community here back in Atlanta, around the United States, people are able to go on our website and actually uh, sponsor one of these kids. And what we do is we ask them for a one-year commitment on it. We show up back in Kenya probably at least three or four times a year. And in the process of that, we bring letters, we bring pictures, we exchange stuff back and forth. But the shot that you're looking at there is, uh, is our orphanage. It has a school on it. We, we educate our kids all the way up till sixth grade, you know, different ages, obviously, but up to sixth grade there. And then they, they go to school outside the community um, after that. So again, the price point to sponsor one of those children in the orphanage there is what again? Yeah, it's $55 per month, but that's all in. I mean, that's that's their food, that's their health, that's their education, that's uh, part of the staff that takes care of them. For 67 kids, we have uh, we have over 20 staff, right at right about 20 staff, and that feed into them um, every day. And uh, the $55 a month covers covers all the expenses, total care facility. So for those listening, I simply want to encourage them to go to the website, check it out. It's a beautiful website, and there's a button here that says Donate. Correct. There's also the Sponsor a Child, and that's where you would be able to go and sponsor a child. Oh, yeah. We've got complete bios, pictures, their story online. Each one of those kids have a story, and uh, there's a a reason that they're there up in this this area. It's it's a very remote, tough area to live in. People, their, their parents have died of typhoid, malaria, dysentery violence post post election violence um cattle rustling i mean everything that you could you could think of mostly the the area up there is nomad so they're they're very much goat herders cattle herders stuff like that but yeah everybody everybody has a story that's in this orphanage are there other ways that someone could give and be supportive of serve international Obviously, they could make a financial donation. They could sign up for one year at a time, $55 a month, and sponsor a child. Other opportunities, what comes to mind? Well, other opportunities, I mean, we we actually lead probably three to four teams a year going to Africa that will – um, our staff will, will take a team. It's, it's 12 days. We do that. But, you know, one of the things I, w- I would say is not only can you, you do it through child sponsorship or providing funding for a well to help with these communities or, or a church or even taking a trip with, you know, with Serve International, but just to get familiar with the process of who we are and to go to our website and just kind of take a look. What we do is we have a, a few business partners, actually, that come alongside of us, and they help to cover our overhead and expenses. The one cool thing about what we've done and we've been able to maintain for over 18 years now is that we're actually 100% pass-through. So what I mean by that is if somebody goes online and gives $10, all $10 of that goes back into our actual mission and ministry of what we do. How is that happening? Well, we've got, we've got a few... Um, uh, not only my company, but we have a few other companies that come alongside of us on, on monthly donation. They help cover the overhead and expenses. Right. So we're always looking for those individual partners, those business partners that, that come alongside and 
Um, then, of course, you know, we, we give them shout-outs, and we, we do a lot to put back into their marketing and, and everything else. Okay. So it's not just a give-and-take. It's a partnership. Okay, so who are some of the companies you should give a shout-out to right now? Uh, Vector Global, My Smart T-shirts. Vector Global owns a uh, – they actually own a container company, and what they'll do is they'll donate 8 to $10, 8 to $10 for every container that they ship anywhere in the world, and it goes back into feeding people around, around the globe. We have a guy called My Smart Shirts local guy out of Atlanta here. He's been a partner forever. For every t-shirt that he moves or he sells, he donates and feeds one person per t-shirt. Over the course of time, you know, these, these companies have, have really come alongside of us and engaged with us. And it, it, makes a big it does. Yeah. Okay. So as we get uh, close to the end here of our time today on the Edge of Adventure podcast, talk to me about Serve International's next big initiative I think one of the things that uh, we're really gearing up to is, I mean, we are, we just, we started it, but we're gearing up towards the Cambodia initiative. We're gearing up towards larger food scale distribution in Kenya. The The need continues to grow. Right now, as I mentioned earlier before, too, you know, we want to be better before we get bigger. So the amount of growth that we're able to, to is, is really unlimited in Kenya, the, the, the projects that we're doing in Cambodia. So I, w- I would say that the things that we're, we're gearing up towards for the next phase is really making sure that we can get invested and do what we do well in Cambodia. And uh, it looks a little bit different, obviously, than, than what we do in Kenya, um, different area, different, different region and, and different needs. And I think one of the things that I had to realize was is the needs not the same everywhere in the world. So you have to be very careful because our goal is not to come in and change what they're doing, but to actually walk alongside of them and not implement what we see as Americans into their culture. Um, we always want to be sensitive to that and then try to find the best ways that we can to walk alongside of them, empower the people there, and bring them in as partners. One of your favorite stories regarding Serve International? Oh, man. I think one of my favorite stories is how it actually started. And if you allow me, I, I want to tell you this just real quick. But I had an opportunity in the beginning years to uh, take a, a team of 18 guys down to the jungles of Venezuela. So long story short, we ended up getting on a plane. We flew into Ciudad Boulevard down in Venezuela, ended up flying to another town about two or three hours away. And then we took a bus to, for about four hours along this road. And then all of a sudden it just dead ended. I mean, it literally dead ended at a river. And uh, we spent the night there at the end of that road. The next morning we ended up getting up and uh, taking about a six to, hour, six to eight hour boat ride in dugout canoes into the jungle. Uh, we were doing some, some dental work. We were doing some, um, some doc, we had a few doctors with us. But one of the things is, man, when you say jungles of Venezuela, you're talking crocodile, you're talking anacondas, piranha, and then a few other things that you don't want to run across. At the end of the day, when we were getting, before we ended up coming back down the river, this chief of this tribe wanted to show us the, the, the jungle, and he was very proud of his surroundings. So we ended up, Walking out into the jungle, man, the the trees, the, the monkeys, the uh, vines, everything just, you know, right there. But there's one thing that you don't want to run across in, in the jungle of Venezuela, and that's it's about a four-foot snake. It's called a, a four-nose. And within about 20, 30 minutes, you know, you, you're probably, probably gone, about 20 or 30 minutes. And I remember looking up, and I stepped across this log, and as I stepped across this log, I was sitting there looking up, and I caught the—, the chief's eyes and his eyes looked at mine and I looked at him and he looked at me and he looked down at my boots and I looked down and there was this four-nosed snake slithering across my boots 
And as that snake came across my boot, he uh, turned around to coil. And as he turned around to coil and strike, this man and a sugarcane pole came flying out of nowhere and um, took that snake and slung him about 20 feet and beat that snake up and down one side or the other. And uh, I was sitting here thinking, this, okay, God, did you really bring me out here just to, to bring an end to all this? I mean, there was this snake. It was getting ready to, to strike. And now, so it, it kind of messed me up a little bit. But we ended up getting back downstream. And I, I went in to bed that night, and I was slinging in my hammock, had my mosquito net over me. And, man, I would remember waking up the next morning to all the sounds of the screech monkeys, all the the insects and everything. But I just had this peace inside of me that was just beyond anything I'd ever experienced. And I felt like God was just talking to my soul and just, just saying that, hey, Steve, you're to start a ministry. And if you seek my face in everything that you do, I'll always continue to take care of your needs. You know, I think I did what anybody, reasonable person would do at that point. And I really just kind of turned around and ran for about six months. But you know, as I say, you know, I'm I'm still seeking his face 18 years later, and, you know, God continues to take care of our needs and um, expands it daily. How would you challenge people out there in terms of seeking adventure and purpose? How would you challenge us? I think so many times we get stuck in our in our jobs, we get stuck in our in our routines, we get stuck in these situations that, you know, we feel we can't get out of. But just to just to step out sometimes when it doesn't make make sense but to step out and to find an organization whether it's serve or or other organizations or whatever to to challenge yourself to to go out of your normal and to to go into that sense of adventure and and when you're traveling overseas or you're traveling to some place that that has that slight edge of of danger whatever there's something just comes alive in us and it's amazing what stepping outside of of your normal will do for me, I think it's sometimes going to the edges of the earth, like we talk about, and then a little bit further. That's my excitement, and I love to bring people into that atmosphere and to help create that opportunity for them to see what I see through through missions and through adventure and through traveling. That, that's where I'm at, man. I'm just I'm just ready. Well, we're talking today with Steve Kasha, who is the CEO and the founder of Serve International. You can look him up online at serveone.org. And again, that's spelled S-E-R-V, and then you spell out the, um, the word one, O-N-E, dot org, serveone.org. And with that, we're going to wrap up the show. Appreciate you. Man, love you, brother. I appreciate you, and uh, thanks for all you do. Well, thank I love, you. I love uh, following, following you every day. Well, thank you, and thanks to everybody listening and those watching on YouTube. For more information to get to know Steve Kasha and Serve International a little bit better, please go online to theedgeofadventure.com. And in the meantime, we're going to get out of here. God bless everybody, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure where we go 
beyond status quo. 